Chapter 22 Proof that Carter killed Adam? What proof could Sheila have? Carter had to know. What are you talking about? She asked Sheila in a trembling voice. Sheila laughed. No, Carter, it's not that easy. I don't give anything away for free. But don't worry. I won't hurt you as long as you meet me tomorrow night, right behind Adam's house, at the edge of the Fear Street Woods, and bring the money. Where am I going to get five hundred dollars? You'll find a way. You always did before. Carter swallowed hard. Sheila really did know everything. You give me the money, Sheila said, and I'll give you the proof. She hung up. Carter was left holding the receiver in a daze. So much for things going back to normal. Her life was about to be smashed to bits again. She hated the thought of seeing Sheila alone. She dreaded going back to Adam's house and dredging up all those awful memories. But she had no choice. She had to find out what proof Sheila had, and she had to get it back. Carter looked around her room, wondering where she was going to get the money. She'd already sold all her valuable jewelry, and that had only bought half the amount Sheila wanted. What could she do? Frantically, she dug through her closet. Clothes, shoes, nice things, but nothing that could command $500 on short notice. Her mother had a fur coat. No, she told herself firmly. No, I can't take mother's things, or daddy's. They would never forgive me. This is my own problem, and I've got to solve it myself. She tried to concentrate, to see her room with fresh eyes, not to miss a single valuable possibility. Suppose a thief broke in here, she thought. What would he steal? Her eyes fell on her sound system. The CD player, amplifier, record turntable, and tape player. Of course! It was a very expensive system, given to her by her parents for her 16th birthday. Even used, it might be worth a lot. But her father would definitely notice his disappearance. How could she explain it? I'll tell them it was distracting me too much from studying, she thought. I'll say I was spending too much time listening to music. She imagined her father's grave face nodding in approval as she told him this. Yes, she thought, that might work. The next day, she packed the whole system in a box and hoisted it into the trunk of her car. She drove to Marvin's Bargains, a store that bought and sold used electronic gear. She lugged the box inside. The store was nothing more than a big warehouse, filled with used stereos, computers, appliances, even old records and tapes. A middle-aged man in jeans and a vest looked the system over. How long have you had this? he asked her. Just a year, she answered. She pulled a slip of paper from her pocket. See, here's the receipt. My parents bought it a year ago. She was glad she remembered to dig out the receipt from her parents' files. Please like it, she begged him silently. Please like it a lot. Everything working okay? She nodded vigorously. Like a dream. It's the greatest, really. So why are you selling it? She hesitated. A uh, family emergency, she said. I need the money. He accepted this and offered her $300 for it. Please, she pleaded. I've got to have 500 I won't leave her unless you give me $500. The man looked at her in surprise. Look, Carter went on, holding the bill of sale under his nose. Look how much your father paid for it. Only a year ago. You're getting a bargain. He looked at the receipt again and frowned. Well, all right. I'll give you 500 for it. Thank you. Carter wanted to hug him, but she flashed him a happy smile instead. That night, she drove slowly down Fair Street. It was a dark, moonless night of long, shifting shadows, and Fear Street was even creepier than usual. The old Simon Fear mansion loomed before her like a burned-out hulk. In the misty air, steam rose up from the remains of the house, so that it seemed to have burned out just that day. Carter knew the mansion had burned years ago, but she felt as if something were alive in the ruins, some ghastly spirit that affected the whole street. After tonight, Carter vowed, I'm never setting foot on this street again. She passed the ruined mansion and parked her car a few doors away from Adam's house. Then she walked quickly to the house, her sneakers studding nearly as loudly as her heart. The windows were dark. No car in the driveway. No one home. Carter felt a twinge of guilt as she passed the front door. A black wreath hung on it. 
She crept through the yard, around the weed-strewn side of the house, and into the woods behind it. The Fear Street Cemetery, she knew, lay nearby. Carter wondered if Adam had been buried there. Shuddering, she pushed the thought from her mind. The mist grew thicker in the woods. Carter could see only a few feet in front of her. The trees became hulking, dark shapes, oozing moisture. There was no breeze, no movement, no sign of life anywhere. Just a drip, drip of dew falling from the trees into the mossy ground. Sheila? Carter called softly. No answer. Carter shivered inside her jacket and leaned against a tree. She had the money in her pocket. All she could do was wait. An owl hooted nearby. Carter heard the flutter of wings. Then she heard a crack, like the sound of a twig breaking. Dead leaves shuffling. Footsteps. The footsteps came from behind her. She spun toward the noise. Squinting through the mist, she could hear someone coming, but couldn't see anything. Out of the shadows stepped Sheila. She walked deliberately up to Carter, a smoking cigarette in one hand. The money, said Sheila, sticking out her free hand. Carter began to reach into her pocket. Then she stopped. Where's the proof, she demanded. Sheila didn't flinch. First, the money. Carter pulled a wad of bills from her pocket and handed it over to Sheila. Sheila smiled. She took two steps back from Carter and carefully counted the money. It's all there, Carter said impatiently. We'll see, said Sheila. The money was all there, as Carter had said. Sheila smiled and stuffed it into her pocket. Now, said Carter, what is this proof you have? Sheila pulled something out of her pocket and dangled it in front of Carter. It glimmered in a faint light. I found this on the floor of Adam's living room, right next to his body, she said. Her voice was hard and cruel and accusing. She said no more. It was a gold locket. Carter took it from Sheila's hand. She examined it closely. With growing horror, Carter recognized the necklace. She opened it with trembling hands and gasped as she read the inscription. For Carter. Chapter 22 Dan, it's me, Carter. Carter? She could hear the surprise in his voice. It was Saturday, the day after she met Sheila in the Fear Street Woods. Carter held the necklace between her fingers as she spoke to Dan on the phone. She watched it sparkle in the sunlight that poured through her bedroom window. My life is a mess, Dan, Carter said. It can't get any worse, no matter what my father finds out about me. There's no point in keeping my secret any longer. Carter, what are you saying? Dan sounded uncertain, as if he weren't quite sure what she was talking about. I'm going to talk to Daddy. Today, Carter said. I'm going to tell him everything. Are you sure about this, Carter? said Dan. Carter's voice was full of resolve. I'm sure. Don't you think I should do it? You should. Of course you should, Dan said quickly. It's the right thing to do. I think you'll feel a lot better. I know I will, said Carter. I just hope Daddy doesn't completely lose it. Dan, I need moral support. Somebody to help me get through this. Will you come over today? Daddy has always liked you, and you being here will give me the courage I need to actually go through with this. Dan was silent. Please? Of course, Carter, he replied. I'll be glad to help you. I'll come over whenever you want. Thanks, Dan. Come over after lunch, okay? Daddy's always in a better mood after he's eaten. Okay. See you around, too. I'll be here. Dan, thanks for staying with me through all this. It's meant a lot to me. It really has. I'd do anything for you, Carter. You know that. Carter was waiting for Dan when the doorbell rang two hours later. She opened the door, took his hand, and pulled him into the house. Thank you, she whispered, squeezing his hand. Daddy is in the study now, she said nervously. Are you ready? he asked her. She nodded. They walked to the study. The door was closed. Carter knocked gently. They heard the judge call, Come in. Hesitantly, Carter opened the door. She didn't step into the room, just put her head inside. Daddy, are you busy? Not really, Carter, said Judge Phillips. Come on in. Carter nodded to Dan. They stepped into the study and closed the door. Hello, Judge Phillips, said Dan. Carter cleared her throat. Um, Daddy, I need to talk to you. I, I have something important to say. 
Her voice came out high and shrill. She glanced up at Dan. Her chin was trembling. He gave her an encouraging smile. I've done a terrible thing, Daddy, Carter stammered. Actually, I've done a lot of terrible things. First of all, about the math achievement test, her voice broke. She swallowed hard. I'm sorry, Daddy. This isn't easy. The judge said nothing. He kept his eyes trained on her and listened. I cheated on the math test, Daddy. I mean, I didn't take it over the second time. Someone took it for me, she paused. Who took it for you? asked the judge. Adam Messner. He went to Waynesbridge and pretended to be me. He took the test in my place. Carter lowered her eyes to the floor. Her hands were shaking. The judge frowned severely. His face was hard. So it was Adam who scored 730 on your test, not you. Carter nodded. She glanced at Dan. He avoided her eyes. That's not the worst of it, Carter went on. I have something else to tell you, Daddy. Something much more important. The judge sat silently, waiting. Carter took a deep breath. I did it, Daddy. I had no choice. He was blackmailing me. The judge stared hard into her eyes. Carter, you did what? I killed Adam Messner. Chapter 24 Carter raised her eyes to Dan. He was staring at her, his mouth open. But after a long moment, Dan composed himself. He crossed the room and stood in front of the judge's desk. Judge Phillips, you can help Carter, right? I mean, she's your daughter. You can deal with it, right? She won't have to go to jail, will she? The judge's face went slack. He remained silent. All the light faded from his eyes. I'm sure Carter didn't mean to do it, sir, Dan said, panicking his voice. It could have been self-defense, right? Maybe it's not really murder. The judge shook his head. The courts will decide that at her trial. No, cried Dan. Judge Phillips, you have to help her. You're a judge. You can do something. You can get them to go easy on her. She took a life, said the judge. That is a terrible crime, so Carter must pay. She's my daughter, and I love her, but I won't use my influence in any way. He paused. Then he sighed heavily. Carter waited to see what would happen next. There's no point in putting it off, the judge went on. I'm sorry, Carter. I have to do this. I have no choice. He picked up the telephone and started to dial the police. Dan pressed his hand on the phone, cutting off the call. Wait, he said. I can't let you do this. The judge set down the receiver. He raised his eyes to Dan. Carter didn't kill Adam, Dan said heatedly. What do you mean, said the judge. She says she did it. She just admitted it. No, said Dan. She didn't do it. I don't know why she says she did. Well, Carter's father demanded. Then who did do it? Dan cleared his throat. I did. With a loud sob, Carter ran to Dan and flung her arms around him. Dan pulled away gently and sank into the leather armchair. What's all this about? Please explain, Dan, the judge asked softly. I, I killed him, Dan said. Start at the beginning, please, Judge Phillips said, folding his hands on the desktop. Adam was driving Carter crazy, Dan began. He was blackmailing her, taking terrible advantage of her. He was holding this cheating thing over her head, threatening her with it every day. He was ruining her life. I hated to see her so miserable. Dan stared at the floor. I was worried about her, too. Worried about her and me. I was afraid that Adam would get so tangled up in Carter's life that eventually he'd take her away from me. I know that's what he wanted. Carter felt her face grew hot. It had almost happened that way. I begged Carter not to give Adam any more money. I begged her to stay away from him, but she was afraid of him with good reason, and money was the only thing that kept him quiet. I thought that if I talked to Adam... Maybe I could get him to stop bothering her. I had to try anyway, so I drove to Fear Street to his house that Saturday to see him. When I got there, I saw Carter's car pulling away. She had just been there. I knew she must have given him more money. I was so upset. I parked around the corner so Carter wouldn't see me. I waited until she was out of sight. 
Then I walked up to Adam's house and rang the bell. I had no idea what I was going to do or say. All I knew was I was furious with him. He was ruining Carter's future, and mine too, because I always thought Carter and I would be together. He swallowed hard and looked at Carter. She sat across from him now, listening. She gave him an encouraging nod. Anyway, I had a feeling Adam wouldn't be very happy to see me, and he wasn't. I pushed my way into the house. I told him to stop blackmailing Carter and leave her alone. I told him not to bother her again. He grinned at me. He acted calm, but I could tell there was rage bottled up inside him. It was slowly coming to the surface. He said, don't tell me what to do. I've got a good thing going with Carter right now, if you know what I mean. And it isn't going to end until I'm ready to end it. So run on back to your country club, kid. That's when I really started to lose it. I felt so terrible for you, Carter. I was so sorry you'd gotten mixed up with this creep. Then things got crazy, out of control. I said, today is the last you'll ever see of her. Do you understand me? From now on, you'll leave her alone. He pulled away from me and took a few steps backward. He opened a drawer and pulled out a gun. He pointed it at me. I couldn't believe it. I never expected him to have a gun. I, I didn't think. I jumped him and wrestled him for the gun. There was a loud pop, and suddenly Adam grabbed his stomach and doubled over. His body, it crumpled to the floor. I glanced down. I was holding the gun in my hand. Somehow, it had gone off. When I turned to Adam, he was lying in a pool of blood. There was a big hole in his chest, and the blood was spouting up from it. Blood was everywhere. I, I freaked out. I just dropped the gun and ran. Dan put his head in his hands and held it for a moment. Neither Carter nor her father moved. The room was silent except for the flapping of the window curtains. Outside, Carter could hear the drone of a lawnmower. Dan lifted his head. He took a deep breath and went on. I was so panicky. I wasn't thinking straight. I didn't know where to go or what to do. Somehow I found myself here. Some instincts told me I had to see you, Carter. But no one was home, so I waited. You didn't come home until after dark. I was going to tell you what had happened, Carter. I really was. But then the police came. I thought they came for me. But instead they questioned you. I was sure my fingerprints were all over that gun. But I guess after that struggle, they were probably so smeared up the police couldn't identify them. He paused. Swallowed. And then, you handed me an alibi, Carter, he said. You didn't want the police to know about you and Adam. So you said you were studying with me all day. You had no idea that I'd been to see him too. You had no idea that you were protecting me. I knew that if I confessed to killing Adam, all of your secrets would come out. Everyone would find out about the cheating, and you were so desperate to hide it. I started to think that maybe I could get away with it. Maybe we both could. Carter glanced at her father. He was watching Dan. But I'd never let you take the blame for me, Carter, said Dan. When I saw how much trouble you were in today, I had to confess. I'd never do anything to hurt you. The judge leaned back in his chair, his gaze on Carter. She stood up and put her arms around Dan. See, Daddy, Carter said. I was right. I told you he would do the right thing. I knew Dan would confess. Chapter 25 Dan gaped at Carter, confused. Huh? What are you talking about? Carter stood up and carefully pulled something from her jeans pocket. The locket. Hey, Dan said, taking it from her. Where did you find that? Sheila Koss gave it to me, said Carter. She found it in Adam's house next to his body. Dan raised a hand to his forehead. It must have fallen out of my pocket while Adam and I were fighting. I recognized it right away as soon as Sheila showed it to me, said Carter, from the window of the jewelry shop. Remember? Dan had asked her which necklace she would choose, if she could have any of them. Carter had chosen the locket. She smiled at Dan. You had it engraved in everything, Dan's face fell. When I saw the locket, I knew you had been there, Dan, Carter told him. 
and I knew I couldn't let this thing go on any longer. So late last night, I told Daddy everything. I told him about the cheating, the blackmail, the lies, everything. And I told him that I knew you had something to do with Adam's death. The judge nodded. I was ready to call the police right then and there, he said. But Carter insisted you would do the right thing when the time came. She and I cooked up this little confession trauma to test you, to see how far you go to protect yourself. He paused. You passed the test, Dan. I believe what you told us about Adam's death, and that you didn't mean to kill him. But we will have to talk to the police about this. Carter stared intently at Dan's troubled face. Poor Dan, she thought. He's in all this trouble just because of me. She leaned forward on the desktop and asked, What's going to happen to him, Daddy? I don't know, but I think we can make a pretty good case that Adam's death was accidental, or at least that Dan acted in self-defense. After all, Adam was the one who pulled a gun on Dan. I'll do whatever I can to help. Carter stepped around the desk to kiss her father now. Thanks, Daddy. Dan stood up and shook the judge's hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. The rest of the day was a blur of activity. Judge Phillips took Carter and Dan to the police station, where they each gave their statements and answered endless questions. The judge found Dan an excellent lawyer. Mrs. Phillips was horrified, of course, at having her daughter mixed up in such a scandal. They'll be dragging your name through the mud in the papers, she cried tearfully at the dinner table that night. I just hope they don't kick us out of the club. Carter rolled her eyes. The judge tried to comfort his wife. Don't worry, dear, he told her. They wouldn't dare kick us out of the club. Who would organize all their events? After dinner, Carter went up to her room to change. She planned to go to Dan's house to hang out, to keep him company, and to talk things over. She was brushing her hair when she heard a soft knock at her bedroom door. Come in, she said. Her father opened the door and walked in. Hello, dear, he said. May I sit down for a minute? Carter nodded. Her father sat beside her on the bed. He cleared his throat and tugged at his collar, as if it were too tight. Carter realized she'd never seen him look so uncomfortable. I came to apologize to you, Carter. I had no idea that you felt so much pressure in school, and I think it's mostly my fault. All that talk about Princeton and my demands about your test scores. What I really meant to do was show you how much confidence I had in you. I had no idea I was pushing you so hard. I'm very sorry. Carter gave him a warm smile. Her father smiled back. He put his arm around her. The next time something is bothering you, or you have a problem, please come and tell me, he said. I will, Daddy, said Carter. I promise. Carter was sitting on the floor at Dan's house, a chessboard spread out between them. Dan moved his queen. Jack, he said. Carter groaned. I can't believe it. You're beating me at chess. That's only because you didn't cheat this time, Dan said. What's going on? You always cheat at chess. Carter moved her pawn. I think I've learned my lesson, she said. Dan glanced at the board and smiled. Then he moved his queen again and said, Checkmate. I'm Chris Ebinger, and thank you for listening to Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Cheater by R.L. Stein. This was a fun book to read. It was a little short, and that's very nice. The Cheater was my spring book. I'm working on my summer book, and I'll probably do the wrong number, or something else that will be equally fun. I would love to find some of R.L. Stein's point horror books like The Snowman, Hit and Run, and Hitchhiker, and read those but I can't find them. They're in my personal library, but I really don't want to be reading from a, an actual book. I have all these books in a text document, and it's easier to read the book and narrate as it's in front of me on a computer screen and not on a real page. Speaking of my process, I am working on a studio in my basement. I made some good progress. I completed the ceiling. I hung drywall. I built two desks. One has a slate tabletop. The other one is wood. I did some basic housekeeping in there, cleaned it up and stuff. The next step is sound deadening the walls, and I need to go pick up some 
old quilts or blankets or heavy movers blankets from a local hardware store. Once that's done, I can begin to record at home and split my time between my home studio and my current studio. I like to give you series updates at the beginning and the end of each audiobook. That way you get an idea of what I'm planning. I usually complete a book and then some time goes by before I start to record the next book. Thank you again for listening to my production of The Cheater by R.L. Stein. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Nightfall Audio or drop me an email, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.